0: And so all those songs turned into the number one songs, and it was because I was just watching what God was doing. And not only did it transform my songs, it transformed my life uh, by being in a church watching God work through the lives of these kids and these parents in my life. Uh, and I thought, oh my gosh, now I've got stories to tell on the road.
1: We appreciate you joining us for the Run the Race podcast. Got a special treat for you today. A contemporary Christian artist and acclaimed singer-songwriter who's had uh, 10 number one hits That's 10 more than me, and uh, he talks about all his different songs today, including one that uh, is related to uh, the Bible verse that uh, this title of this podcast is based on, uh, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. You can look up your Bible for the rest of that verse, but um, the uh, the guest for today is Mark Schultz, and um, and I got permission to play a few of his songs, uh, part of them, as a part of this podcast episode, But so before we get to our uh, nearly hour-long episode where he talks all about uh, faith and family and biking and everything else, uh, here's a little bit of his song that was uh, famous years ago called Remember Me.
2: Remember me, in a Bible cracked and faded by the year. Remember me, in a sanctuary filled with silent prayer.
1: So, as you heard some of it, it's a heartfelt, emotional song released in 2004, a power ballad, uh, really, you know, an anthem of comfort and hope and uh, about the power of remembrance and uh, how we all want to have a lasting legacy. Uh, It was inspired by Mark Schultz's personal experiences with loss and desire to honor the memories of those who have passed away. In fact, um, he tells us in the conversation you're about to hear that uh, that song really is related to a graduation for uh, youth that he got close with as a youth pastor, youth minister, and uh, just you know was watching what these young people were going through and what they were doing and just wrote songs about it. So a lot of his songs obviously pulls from real-life experiences. Uh, Mark Schultz has nine studio albums, and uh, he uh, finds uh, found a lot of inspiration when he was in Nashville, Tennessee, originally as a youth pastor before he became this uh, groundbreaking uh, singer-songwriter, a 14-time Dove Award nominee, and platinum-selling artist. Um, he has lived all different places, not just Tennessee, but now is in North Carolina, but he's lived in Europe started the Remember Me mission with his wife to help orphans. Uh, Schultz himself uh, is adopted and has uh, four kids, two of them being adopted. So we talk a lot about adoption. In fact, I met him several months ago earlier this fall at an event uh, by uh, Sound Choices Pregnancy Clinic here in Columbus, Georgia. And uh, he is uh, very much an advocate for adoption, and uh, so are they. That organization, uh, they're really trying to talk to moms and uh, convince them to not have an abortion, to have an adoption, to have their babies. And um, so it's very uh, powerful that he uh, talks about issues like that through his music. Later on in this podcast, uh, we're gonna, uh, you're going to hear his newest release. Uh, which is a hymn called Jesus Paid It All. You'll hear most of that song at the end of uh, our chat this episode. He's got songs like Letters from War, a great song from about 20 years ago about the military. He's got songs like He's My Son, Remember Me, like you just heard, Walking Her Home, uh, which is about a couple that uh, you know that befriended him, lived next door to him, and uh, took care of him, fed him for uh, many years. And, um, about the their first date, and how uh, he walked her home all the way through the nursing home and to death as well. Uh, and probably one of his most famous songs is "I Am." So you can look that up and listen to that on YouTube all over. And uh, so Mark Schultz is an amazing storyteller. We talk about that. We talk about adoption and uh, his bike tour um, thousands of miles across America that he did years ago. He has a new children's book as well, and uh, we talk about just Christian music in general. So without further ado, here's my conversation uh, with Mark Schultz.
2: Remember me When the children leave their Sunday school with smiles
1: All right. Well, I'm excited to have uh, Mark Schultz on the podcast and uh, from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, home of the great UNC Tar Heels. So, Mark, uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk a lot about, um, you know, uh, being a storyteller and, uh, you know, how those lyrics come about for, uh, I'm assuming, some of your personal experiences, some of these great songs over the last few decades. Uh, being an adopted child yourself and then adopting two children uh, you and your wife and i um, going to talk about um, biking because I know that you've done some of that um, and uh, and for some great causes, um, but I wanted to start off, you know, because I'm always fascinated about, you know, kind of origin stories and so um, how how early in, in life or and, and how did you get uh, into music was that something that you were it was a goal for a while. That's a great question uh we lived in a small house in
0: colby kansas where i grew up and when i was in the second grade we moved to a little bigger house um uh, but still a small house and in their basement was a this upright grand piano which is like a tank of a piano and the people who lived there before uh, or who were moving thought it was too big to move out of their house they just didn't know how to get that they just kind of came with the house so they left it in there And I remember being in the second grade, not knowing what it was, you know, because we weren't I didn't come from a musical family on either side, my mom's side or my dad's side. Nobody can carry a tune in a bucket. And so uh, I remember I used to watch um, commercials on on TV uh, between cartoons. And uh, then I would go over to the piano and be like, what is this? And I would lift the lid on that thing and I would start playing the cartoons or the uh, the commercials out on the piano and, uh, funny enough, I learned how to play on the black notes, uh, on the piano, not the white notes, but the black notes. So uh-huh. I'd write on, I'll write all the commercials in the black notes. And as I got older, I would start to write songs on the black notes. And, uh, I never took piano lessons. Uh, I don't know anything about, um, you know, keys or any of that kind of stuff. I write all my songs still on the black notes. And, uh, even when I was in college, um, a, a girl who was taking music as a As her, you know, her field. Uh, She came in one day and she said, uh, hey, will you play this song? And she had written it out on a piece of paper or whatever with all the notes on the staff and everything. And I said, I've got no idea how to play that because I can't read music or whatever. And she was laughing. She goes, that's actually your song. I transcribed it for you. Uh, but you're playing that. You just don't know that that's what you're playing. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So today, <laughs> we're, our music all written out in a songbook that the record company has done. I'm just like, that is like Chinese to me. I have no idea. I just kind of play by ear and play in all the black notes.
1: Well, and, and you know, looking back, you know, from 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 that time and um, having, you know, so many you know, 10 number one songs and and having this you know great career. Um, you know, and is that, um, was that something that you, I mean, thought could ever happen? Was that something that, okay, now that I know how, know that I can write music and that I can carry a tune, maybe unlike my, my parents, um, that like, you know, you had dreams of succeeding like this. Yeah. I remember being like, even when I was a young
0: kid, I would have these dreams about, uh, you know, be at my house and walking around the corner of my house and there would be an audience there of my neighbors and I would come out and sing songs, you know. Even my earliest memories are doing concerts, you know, for people. And uh, I loved radio. I loved to listen to radio. I always thought, man, wouldn't it be great to be on radio uh, and have songs on there? But more than anything, I think what I was uh, felt good about is... I could sit down at a piano in front of people that I had never met before, even if it was one or two people or a hundred and I could sit down and I could play one of my songs and everybody would stop talking and they would just, you know, and it would change the whole complexion of the room. And if I had a song about my grandpa, me and my grandpa, you know, a real uh, tender song about that, I could totally, for people I'd never even met before, all of a sudden tears would run down their face or it, it would totally change the atmosphere of what was going on. And I thought, man, that's really powerful. You know, that's really neat that you can hand something to somebody that and, and do something like that in a normal conversation. Maybe it takes five or six hours to get to that place where somebody shows emotion, that you can do that within the first 35 or 40 seconds of playing a song for somebody. From that standpoint, just to be able to connect with somebody on that level so quickly, I just thought, man, that's, that's, that's a real gift to be able to do and so whether I got played on the radio or not I just knew I had the ability to craft a song an idea a story
1: that um, I could form a connection with somebody really really quickly. And being able to see that reaction and like you know you you get a chance to travel the country you talk to me off camera about it was nice to be home for Thanksgiving and and uh, have some downtime with family but I'm sure you know Getting to uh, see those reactions from from people, you know, and what's, you know, you, you're traveling the country now and, and and playing some of those songs maybe that were on the radio, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And, and you have people's favorites and some new songs. Um, so, I mean, is that uh, do you enjoy I mean, I, you, you put out albums and, and put things on the radio? But do you enjoy that kind of having that audience where you get to literally see their reaction instantaneously? For me, that is the thing,
0: you know, and so I'll write songs. And one time I remember I was on the tour bus and uh, we were just sitting outside the venue and we were just watching people park their cars and walk inside. And I remember telling our road manager at the time, I can't believe that I sit in a room by myself and sit at the piano and play notes and come up with an idea for a song thinking nobody's ever going to hear this. This is a crazy idea and I can't. But I'm just by myself, and now I'm sitting on it. The song you know, is finished, and we put it out, and now I'm sitting on a tour bus, and I'm watching people park and actually spend money and give their day and give their time to getting to the venue so they can come in and listen to those songs it was just uh, surreal to me, you know, something you just kind of do in your room by yourself open. I hope somebody hears this at some point in time. And uh, so much so that even during concerts, I'll say, hey, this is a brand new song I've got. It's not even done yet, but I'm just going to play it because I want to see how what you think of it, you know. And if I can play it, and you know, I'll play a verse and a chorus. And sometimes I'll get a standing ovation out of a verse and a chorus, and I'll go, okay, I'm onto something here. You get an instant feedback that you don't get in the room by yourself, you know. You you, you don't, don't need to pay. Yourself. You don't need.
1: Yeah, you don't need yeah. to pay a consultant for that.
0: I don't need and I don't need to pay myself to come listen to myself and sit in a room by myself to hear to see if they like it or not. So uh, that's really gratifying to me. The payoff is to play in front of an audience because that's that's the that's the end result. You know, that's that's Christmas Day. That's 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 giving a gift to somebody and watching them unwrap it and and seeing what they think of it and for them to show the emotion and to go afterwards. Gosh, that reminds me so much of um my mom or that my dad or my children or my you know i've got to make sure that my best friend hears this song they need to hear this song today that's the to me that's the greatest payoff
1: and you know one question you know um, i'm always fascinated by about how people choose what direction they go to, whether it be music or any other career. But, um, you know, you chose, um, Christian or faith based music. And right. uh, so, um, so why, why that, was that something that maybe the way you were brought up that UK, okay, I want to, you know, um, give God the glory through my music, or this is, you know, my faith is paramount in my life. And I want to, that, that to be a part of, of, of what I say in these songs,
0: yeah, I wish I had a deep thought like that
1: for this answer. But the answer is I came
0: from Kansas State where I went to school and I was writing songs. And they tended to be a lot of, I don't know, ballad, love songs kind of things. I, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. And I moved to Nashville. And long story short, um, I, I was also an intern at BMI, which collects royalties for singers and songwriters. Uh, I got that internship for free. I met a girl who said, uh, "Hey, I'm leaving my internship." As I walked in the building, you could get my job, and I won't get in trouble. And I said, "I'm, I'm there." So I got the job from her, and I was also a waiter at the time at a restaurant downtown at a hotel. And uh, she taught me how to do the job. And then she said, "After a week, man, you're a nut. You need to hang out with this guy. He's a youth minister. You guys would get along well. You just would." And I was like, "No way. He'll make me hang with." hang out with kids there's no way i'm doing that so she gave me his phone number said here's the his name's mark devries he's a mr i took it i looked at it and i ripped it up into pieces of in a little pieces of paper and threw it in the trash can because i thought man i'm not going to call this guy because he's going to make me hang out with kids so if i rip this piece of paper up i'll never have to see it again and nine months later i'm a waiter uh still in nashville and this couple comes in and they sit at my table and uh they're like the only ones in the restaurant And um, I bring his lunch out, you know, and uh, there's a hot pepper on this guy's plate. And he said, hey, waiter, I want to challenge you to a hot pepper eating contest. And I said, "Okay, weirdo. And uh, he cut it in half and gave me the hotter half. And he said, whoever drinks my water first loses. And uh, I stared at him. He stared at me. Our faces turned red and our faces were sweating, you know, and uh, I drank his wife, uh, drank his water. I drank his wife's water. And uh, and he said, man, you're a nut what's your name? I said, Mark. And he said, you must be pretty smart. And I said, is your name Mark, too? And he said, yeah. And uh, he said, why are you here in town? And I said, I'm here to do music for a living. But, you know, I'm just a waiter right now. And I said, what's your name? He said, Mark DeVries. And I said, oh, my gosh, I was supposed to call you nine months ago. What are you doing here? And he said, we had uh, we've been at this church as a youth minister for like eight years and we've never had a vacation. And our church members sent us here overnight to say hey we'll buy you lunch the next day Spend just take some time off and he said do you like snow skiing and uh i said yeah and he he goes you want to go snow skiing i said sure he just didn't tell me i was going to take fifteen seventh graders with him on a ski trip and uh and so i did (laughs) and afterwards we got snowed into this uh we're in indiana indiana where the mecca of all great skiing is and uh, i got duct taped to a bed the first night by these kids and then the next night we got snowed in and we had four hours to fill. We had nothing to do. So he grabbed a guitar and we just sat around and wrote songs about every kid in the room. You know, we just start singing and the kids were laughing, having a great time. And he said uh, afterwards, he brought me back to the church uh, where we dropped the kids off. and He took me into a, a room and it had a grand piano in it. <laughs> and he said, uh, he said, hey, i uh, how, how much are you getting paid as a, as a, as a, uh, waiter? And I said, Oh my gosh, he's going to offer me a job. So I said, you know, $6 and 10 cents an hour. So that's, <laughs> and he said, well, he goes, well, you're going to come to work for me for $6 and 11 cents an hour. And I said, why would you do that? And he said, well, what'd you come to Nashville to do? And I said, to write songs. And he said, how many have you written this year? And I said, zero. Cause I've been trying to make money as a waiter. And he said, well, that's why you're going to work for me. You're going to write songs. And I said, well, about what? And he goes, Oh, just watch the kids and see what God's doing in their life and watch their parents and see what God's doing in their life. And and then, you know, as you write these songs, uh, special moments during the year, you can play them the songs, you know. And uh, so that turned into one of the kids in our youth group getting cancer. And I wrote a song called He's My Son for him, which ended up being a number one song. And uh, the kids graduating, the first senior class graduating the song, Remember Me. And I wrote that for them. Um, and so all those songs turned into number one songs, and it was because I was just watching what God was doing. And not only did it transform my songs, it transformed my life uh, by being in a church watching God work through the lives of these kids and these parents in my life. Uh, and I thought, oh, my gosh, now I've got stories to tell on the road about what God's doing in everybody's life. And it turned out to be this beautiful way to back back into the Christian music industry, which I didn't even know there was such a thing as a Christian music industry
1: before I started yeah, well, see, that, that's, that that shows you that sometimes when you rip up things and, and God's sending you neon signs, he's like, okay, well, I'm going to make it happen somehow. I'm going to have this that's youth fine. minister go on vacation. You're going to have a pepper eating contest. So who, who right. would have thought that uh, eating a pepper would lead to you, your Christian music career, right? <laughs> it was so backwards. Everything about it was backwards and perfect at the same time. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, um, what what I do for a living, I'm a TV news anchor. And so I, we tell stories. And, and I remember, I think, um, you know, decades ago, the the guy that that leads the show 60 Minutes said, you know, it simply comes down to four words, tell me a story. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it comes to journalism, and, and then maybe that's the case with music and a lot of things in life. So, um, being a storyteller yourself for for, for decades, um, how do you know you talked about this a little bit on you know on the on the bus and by yourself in a room, but how do the lyrics come about? I know that like at the beginning it was like watching what these uh, church youth were doing and, and uh, their experiences. But you know now you know as, as you've gone through life and your career, um, do those lyrics just come like in a dream? Do they come from something mm-hmm. personally you've been through?
0: Yeah, I don't. You know, I don't know if you've. You know, when you watch a movie, um, you can you can watch a movie uh, maybe with the sound off. Maybe it's. I saw this thing. I thought it was really interesting. They were talking about the making of a movie, and they showed a scene of the movie with just the two people talking, characters talking in the movie, and it was okay. It was it was fine. Uh, but then they played the the soundtrack or the music that's in the movie behind what they were saying and all of a sudden you're just sitting there and you're just glued to it and you can't turn it off, you know? And, and I always feel like, I've never thought about this before, but as you asked that question, I just thought whenever I wanna write a song about, you know, whether it's, a the, the, he's my son, the little guy who had cancer in our youth group or walking her home, um, my first neighbors in in Nashville, Henry and Liz, who took me in, you know, for nine months and fed me every night. Sure. As I think back on their story, there's, almost, there's, also, there's sort of an emotion that I've got inside me about the conversations we had. Or the if you were to say, what's your, what's your relationship like? Or the, what's, that, what's the emotion that the little guy and his dad are going through, the one who has cancer? What's that emotion? And then I'll walk over to a piano and I'll just try to start to play that emotion that I'm feeling inside here out. And as I play that emotion out then um you kind of hit a vein it's almost like you're mining for something and once you go oh I'm looking for gold and I just I'm hitting a lot of dirt a lot of dirt up there's a gold line right there I'm just going to follow that and so you're following that emotion and then as you're following that emotion uh the best in the best world a couple words will start to trickle out of that and and like I remember I wrote he's my son and I started playing this melody that I'd never played before and uh, I tried several, if I'm talking about mining, I tried several minings where I would just kept hitting dirt over and over and over again for three months. And then all of a sudden I hit this place, and I remember I was playing this music that was so moving to me, and I remember singing, uh, see, he's not just anyone, he's my son, and tears just ran down my face. And I just went, oh my gosh, there's the moment. That's the hook of the song right there. Now I just have to figure out what else it's saying. And so I think that's the most important thing, finding the emotion And then hoping that a few words trickle out of that. And then the hard work begins where you have to start putting it together like a real. That's that's where the work is.
1: And, you know, songs like songs like, um, you know, Remember Me that you, I think, mentioned how I guess that had to do with the graduation of these church youth, uh, you know, from your experience with the other mark. Um, Mm -hmm. Do those songs change for you over time? I, I know that they mean something different maybe for the audience. I mean it can mean like a thousand things for the audience, but that song's really about, you know, loss and, and dealing with that and goodbyes, um mm-hmm. and legacy. Does yeah. does so does that change for you? Or do you always think of that song as okay, that's the graduation song, you know?
0: <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> uh, the the reason I, I, I laugh is that um at our at our church when I wrote that song and it was the graduation song. Uh, what's interesting now is it's almost like, you know, when you're driving on a road you've driven a lot of times, There's sometimes there's a sign there that you see when you drive past. And like I remember going home to my hometown, um, it was a Colby Oasis on the Plains. And before I even get to uh, the exit of where I'm going, I see that sign and I go, oh, I'm home, you know. And that song, there's a there's a handful of those songs. Remember me and uh, uh, cloud of witnesses is another one off that first record that were written for the students in that class. And now, as those kids get older, and um, uh, you know, there's uh, funerals like their their parents are starting. You know, they're having their parents' funerals. Those kids will call me. Other people will call me and say hey, we're going to have this funeral and we absolutely need that song at the funeral because that is such a time stamp on that time in these kids' lives and their families' lives that that just, that to them brings them, you know, when they hear that song, it's like me driving back home and before I get to the exit, oh, I'm home. For them, they hear that song and they're back home again, you know? And that's such an honor to have a song like that, that people want to hear that because that just feels like, oh, that's a great description of this place. And when I feel that song, I feel the emotions of the people that I grew up with and, and that kind of stuff. And remember me, I remember the first time it got played on the radio and I w- I thought nobody knows this song and I'm playing uh, in a theater with a couple thousand people and as I'm playing it, they start singing the song because they know it off the radio and I'm playing it and they're singing it back to me so loud that I'm not even singing anymore and I'm just playing the song just with tears running down my face. Like, I can't believe you people know this and uh, there's one place Marion, Illinois where I've done I've had a 23 year career and I played there 23 years in a row and uh, every year I end uh, the concert with Remember Me and I just play the song and they sing it back to me and it's just because it happened the first time there and they do it every single time and it's like uh, wow as an artist as a creative person you just pinch yourself every time it happens because you're like what a gift I've given these people and now they're giving right back to me and it's it's a uh, a wonderful thing to experience.
2: And
1: definitely a, a stirring ballad, you know, that's stood the, the test of time. One of my favorite songs of yours um, that goes back as well is um, Letters from War. And uh, we've got um, right next to us here in Columbus, Georgia, is what used to be Fort Benning for 100 years, but now is Fort Moore, uh, one of the largest army installations in the entire U.S. Um, and that song was um, from 20 years ago based on the discovery, I think, of your great-grandmother's letters. Um, and diary in, in in her attic. So I mean, so these songs, something like that one is uh, that has some, some, really some personal overtones for you. Sure, sure. Uh, when we found those letters uh, in the attic that
0: my great grandmother had written, my grandfather, when he was in World War II, I was like, man, this has got to be a song and uh, sat down and just started, uh, again, telling the story and building the picture and and. What was so beautiful about that one is uh, the Army actually got involved and they said, Hey, we've got a Be Safe campaign that we heard this song. And we think this would be an awesome way to engage the, the soldiers. And so um, the Army actually paid for a video of that song, Letters from War. And you can find it online now, Mark Schultz, Letters from War. And uh, man, they made a movie out of that thing. That, they, they didn't just make a video, they made a, a movie. And it was so neat to see that song, which is cinematic anyway, come into life and and watch it turn into a movie. And I got to travel to a lot of bases. I might have even been Fort Benning. We went we went to a lot of them, and uh, where I do concerts for the for the soldiers and that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, it's been a real uh, treat to have that song. And I, excuse me, that I do that song after I'm finished. I'll say, hey, uh, we're here tonight because we're we're sharing in. Uh, the gift of freedom that we've get, we've got uh, received from uh, the soldiers and the ones who have given their lives for our freedoms today, and always have the the veterans stand up and they get a standing ovation every single night, and um, and even uh, an air force base in uh, San Antonio, Lackland Air Force Base, they called me and said you got to come see this, and I flew out there and I stood in the back of the church, and every Sunday morning that's the first song they play and these. Uh, uh, cadets they all stand up and they put their arms around each other like 2,500 of them and they're singing letters from watching the video up on the, and they're swaying back and forth and uh and I stood in the back of the room with their parents on graduation day watching this and I was just like it is amazing that a song can have again I don't know anybody in this room but there is such a connection with this room afterwards they had me come out and play the song live and again they all stood up when they saw me and they Again, I don't know any of them, but I started playing the song and thanking them for their service, and they all stood up and sang it louder than I was singing it. And I was just like, man, I've not worked a day in my life except for trying to write the song. But then when you get to give it to people, they're, they're, it's not a job anymore. It's, just a, it's a real honor to get to share something with somebody that means something to someone.
1: Yeah, some surreal experiences like that. And, uh, you know, you and I met in person a few months ago at a uh, a gala here in Columbus, Georgia, uh, Sound Choices Pregnancy Clinic, and uh, talking about, you know, adoption and abortion. And, um, you know, and you are the only adopted child um, in your family, I believe. And then you and your wife go, you have two kids and then you adopt two more. Um, so take us back to, you know, that Um, you know, was it, um, was there trauma involved with being an adopted child or was that, I mean, you just did maybe didn't know any better, you know? Yeah, I was just two
0: weeks old. I joke, (laughs) I I think I said that night, I, I always joke, I say it was the hardest two weeks of my life with the paperwork and everything. Uh, that was the, that was the hardest part for me. Um, but then, you know, you're in the family and, and you, everything is fairly normal. And, uh, I think more than anything, uh, I've thought about it, you know, about being adopted, and certainly you go to your, uh, probably everybody does this, but I go to, you know, the family reunions, and I look around, and I go, please tell me I'm not related to these people, uh, and so, uh, but I, I think, you know, one night I got ready to do a concert, and a lady asked me backstage, and she, she said, uh, hey, have you met your birth mom before? I said, no, I, I never have, and I'm sure... You know, uh, she she was say, she was just telling me how special it was that I was even born because for a young mom in crisis probably to carry me for nine months to go through the uh, pain of giving birth to me. And then she said the hardest thing for your birth mom probably was to hold you in her arms and say, I want to give you the best life I possibly can. I'm not in a situation to do that right now, but I know that there's a family praying for someone like you that can give you the life that I can't give you right now. Kissed you on the head and handed you to a nurse and you found your way to your parents, she said, man, you were born out of love. That was, that's the only thing you were born out of for your mom, birth mom to think that far in the future to think about what was best for you. And my jaw dropped. And I just thought, oh my gosh, my birth mom was a hero. You know, my parents are heroes for adopting me and the people that helped my birth mom make the choice for life, they're heroes too. And so that started my desire to want to go help people. Who are helping young birth moms in crisis see what her choices are, you know? And uh, so I thought about my birth mom making that choice, mom and dad stepping into my life. Henry and Liz, who I said fed me when I first went to Nashville for nine months because I probably couldn't feed myself after college. And uh, and I said, told my wife, the people who've made the most important decisions in my life are the ones who have jumped in and said, "I'm in." They've they've not waited. They just jumped in and said, hey, we'll adopt him or, you know, both those people adopted me. And I said, we should do that, you know. And my wife said, I'm already doing that. You can join me if you want. And so we just <laughs> said for a couple of years, we're going to go arms wide out. And if we hear God say to us that we need to adopt, man, we'll just jump into that story as well. And uh, two years later, a little girl from China uh, was on our video screen and uh we flew to china and adopted maya may who's now seven years old and uh changed my life turned it upside down i went from being the adopted kid to being the adopted dad and man for that full circle story i thought it was special being adopted but the 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 way your heart swells when you walk into a room in china not knowing anybody in the room and you look at a little girl who is now your daughter. And, uh, it is one of the most meaningful, special connections It's such a special connection that my wife, I didn't realize this at the time, my, my initials, Mark Mitchell Schultz MMS and Maya May Schultz. And she did that on purpose so that we would share not only the, the, the uh, process of adoption and what that means, but we'd also share initials. So we'd always have that, uh, in common. And so being an adoptive dad is one of the most uh, special things because I get to see, uh, again, uh, what my dad for, did for me. And my dad did that for me because God uh, did that for him and kind of held his arms out and said, hey, I'm into your story and I'm in. And so my dad did the same thing for me. And so I wanted to do that for the person in the next generation. And and so that we did that.
1: Now, how old? Uh, what are the ages of your uh, your four kids? Uh, now Ryan is 11, uh, Gus or
0: August, uh, as he likes to be called at school, uh, by his <laughs> teachers is nine, uh, Maya May seven. And then two years after we, um, uh, adopted Maya May, my wife called me and said, Hey, pick me up in Kansas. Uh, I was on a, on a, doing a show and, uh, we flew into Kansas and went back and she'd arranged, um, uh, for us to adopt another little girl from the same town, the same state, uh, the same adoption agency that I came from. And so if it couldn't get any more special, we adopted a little girl. that had the exact, almost the exact same story as mine, from the same town, same state, same adoption agency. Uh, her name's Ebby Lou, and uh, she just turned five. And so, you know, I always, I always get on the phone every time these girls have a birthday, and I'll get on the phone, I'll call an the adoption agency or two or three, or a crisis pregnancy center and pick up the phone. I'll say, listen, I was adopted. Now I'm an adopted dad. And every morning that I walk in their bedrooms on their birthday and I see their heads pop above their covers and they go, daddy, you know, and they are like the light of our family. They're, especially Abby Lou, the youngest one, is, is the is the uh, she's the spark plug of our family. She's just a little <laughs> fun ball of. Energy and joy and love. And, and when they pop their heads out on their birthday and go, daddy, and it buckles my knees because I can't imagine what life's like without them. And so I'll just call an agency or two say, keep for what you're doing. We need more victories. Keep doing what you're doing. And it's what inspires me to go out on the road and stand up in front of thousands of people and encourage people to help give money to those kids who need to be adopted and for crisis pregnancy centers because we need more victories because we need more dads who, man, it gets me, will walk into rooms, and their legs will buckle, because they can't believe the gift that they've got right in front of them, Uh, and uh, and that's become a real passion for me.
1: Yeah, it's really uh, um, amazing what God does to us, you know, through fatherhood, through motherhood, and really shows us, because, I mean, he's our father, and, um, you know, imagine, like, The love we have for our children and, you know, um, not even comparable to the love he has for us. And uh, just pretty amazing. And, you know, one more thing on that. Um, I think I've read about how, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as somebody, you know, w- that was adopted. And I think we all do this, whether we're adopted or not. But we, you know, you try to achieve to maybe earn that love from your parents. And I, I've read about how you, you know, we, for you is about, you know, being, you know, the quarterback, the pitcher, you know, wanted to have you know successful in music. You know, is that something? And a lot of people can relate to that. So is that something that. You know, was um not not necessarily a struggle, but was something that was a big part of your life growing up. Yeah,
0: that's a great tie-in. I think one of the things that's the difference between being an adoptive person and then being a dad who adopts is that there's always been a drive in me. Again, I was a quarterback in football. I ran track. I played baseball, was the pitcher. I played basketball in starting five and. And, uh, and then ran track and played baseball in college because I, and, and, and music and singing. And I got to tell you for a long time, there was, there was that sense of getting in front of people and people clapping for you, you know, that just like, Oh man, I'm, uh, they're answering all the questions that I have. Like, am I good enough? And, and I always wanted my parents to think, man, we picked the right one. We didn't get a dud, you know? And it sounds funny to say that, but, uh, I always wanted my parents to think, Oh man, took a chance on adoption and look we got a great one and so that was a huge drive for me not to let my parents down they never put that pressure on me i just had that pressure on myself to want to be great so they could always be proud of me and so uh when we adopted uh i remember just looking at both my girls and thinking man they don't have to do anything i mean they don't have to impress me in any way." And it would break my heart a little bit if they felt like they had to go out and excel and excel and excel just to be accepted by me, you know. And again, that's such a godly perspective of, um, you know, I just feel like if I can operate out of, man, I'm loved and fully loved and known and let me give out of the joy of that. That feels much different than I'm craving to be loved and I need... I need you, the the satisfaction of you stamping me that says I'm okay, I'm good enough. Then that's out of a need of trying to be enough, and those those two things go in opposite directions. You know, it's like that movie Chariots of Fire. One guy is running against another guy, and 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 he looks over at him and he goes, uh, "What's you know running to you?" And w- one guy said, "You know." Uh, I'm running because I don't want to let people down and the pressure on me and all this. And the other guy said, you know, I'm, I run because I just feel the joy of the Lord in me when I run. That feels joyful to me. And I was like, Ooh, when I watched that older, I was like, I want to be the, I want to be the second guy. And uh, and I want my kids to feel that that I've adopted as well. I want them to, to feel oh, and that they're they're whatever they choose to do is out of overflow
1: of joy and love for who they are. Yeah, I mean, you know, like it says, you know, in the Bible, faith without works is dead. but we don't have to earn his love just like you don't have to earn your parents love but yeah. you sometimes feel that way that's that's our you know kind of human and on this podcast called run the race i also talk about fitness um, running the race, you know, of life and, and uh, you know, from the verse in Hebrews. But, um, you know, you were talking about basketball and the different sports you play, football growing up. Um, but um, and maybe you, I don't know if you're still this, but you have been a biking fanatic in the past. And back, yeah. um, I guess it was 15 plus years ago, I think 07, you went on this thirty-five hundred mile bike ride across America, raising money uh, to help um, orphans and women's and dis- women in distress. So, um, are you are you still um, biking? Is that something you know? Or you look back on that saying, "Wow, that was crazy. Why did I do that?" You know?
0: Yeah, I, I, I often say that it sounded mm-hmm. like a good idea before I did it, and then uh, uh, I remember I got asked for an organization. They said, "Hey, you're adopted. Would you be?" the spokesperson for our organization. We're, we're trying to raise money and awareness for orphans. And uh, I had something on me that just said, usually you do a, a tour in a tour bus and go across the country. What if I rode my bike across the country and did a tour? And uh, that was just absolutely crazy. Anyway, I'd never heard of anybody doing it. And uh, we started in California. And I would just you know, ride my bike 100 miles and go to a church and do a concert. And uh, we did that 15 times across the country from California to Maine and raised a quarter million dollars. I think most people were tuning in on the Internet just to see. It. They thought I was going to die every day. I don't know, but they felt bad. And so they were giving money to me. And uh, and I still remember there, you know, we were in uh, Illinois or somewhere and uh, we had no shower in the bus. And there was uh, um, we bought this little looked like a woman's purse at Kmart that unfolded on the door of the bus where you could get inside of it and take a shower. You put water in it. And uh, our bus driver would always take me the most inconspicuous place to take a shower, like the Walmart parking lot of any town we were in at five o'clock in the afternoon when the whole town was there. And I was <laughs> like, "Please don't let anybody know that it's me in here." And this is "Mark Schultz Across America" right above me on the tour bus. And I'm in there showering, and there's these little air holes at the top, like the little that are cut so the steam can be released. But there was <clears> never—it <throat> was just cold showers. But anyway, I remember him. Um, in the Walmart parking lot. And as I'm taking a shower, this $20 bill comes into the side of this hole of this tent. This guy goes, I'd like to make a little donation to your trip. And I'm like, okay, weirdo. And I put it in my dry spot and kept going, you know, (laughs) but that's how we raised all this money. And, uh, and it was, it was, it was so much fun. And, and so I told my wife, I was like, that's maybe the most meaningful thing I've ever done. We got so much attention for orphans and, and I got to do what I love, ride my bike and, and do music. and, and uh, she said, when are we going to do that again? And I said, oh, wait a minute. We didn't do that the first time. That was me by myself. And uh, she said, uh, "Well, we got to do something. So every year we come out with a creative project. This year it's a book. It's off of one of my songs uh, called I Am. It's the lyrics to my song. <clears> and it's a children's book. And uh, we sell it on my website and during uh, the, my concerts, the Christmas concerts we're doing right now, and um, a portion of that money goes to the Remember Me mission, which we started after that bike ride, uh, and that money goes around the world to orphans around the world. And So uh, to answer your question, uh, that, I got about as much uh, bike riding as I wanted out of that. Now I jog, but uh, I remember thinking... On that trip, if you don't make it 100 miles, you don't have a place to sleep the next, you know, that night because you're at a hotel the next night. And, and so now when I get ready to ride my bike, I think to myself, if I was going to ride 100 miles today, I would just ride back to where I am right now. So why would I even, why would I, I'm just already here. So why would I want to get back on my bike and go somewhere now? So I don't ride as my bike as much to answer your question.
1: But you, you know, if you jog, you could run across North Carolina or across, <laughs> t- across Tennessee, something like that. For, I mean, I'm sure people would tune in for that, right? I'm sure.
0: You know what? Anything to see me just be on the, the edge of death. I think people really tune in to see how
1: that's mm-hmm. going to turn out. That's great. That's great. Um, And, um, you know, uh, you were talking about that children's book. Um, You know, how do you, you know, after having this career, you know, 20, 30 years, uh, you know, and and doing this um, for so long, uh, how do you keep things uh, fresh? I mean, is it something where like, okay, Uh, you have new goals like, okay, I want to put out this new album or I want to put out, you know, a book or I want to do, do you kind of come up coming up with new challenges because you've, you know, um, had so much success.
0: Yeah, I would say this, and that's an interesting question because as you get older, you know, when I started, there was only one focus and that was, I was a youth director who would go into the chapel at night where there was a grand piano. And my number one focus was just to write songs about that. Now, um, you know, we've got four kids and, and, uh, and I'm dropping people off at school and picking people up. I'm heading after this to pick up the eggnog and the cookies because we've got to put the tree up tonight. And then, you know, there's all, you know, real life steps into that. And then, uh, my magic time of writing songs usually has always been between five o'clock at night and 10 o'clock at night, you know, and now, man, if you're a dad with kids between 11 and five, you know, five o'clock to eight o'clock is eaten up with, uh, stories and, showers and baths and getting people ready to go and and putting them to bed and so uh it gets harder and harder as real life creeps in because you just you can't have a one-track mind anymore uh and so one of the other problem with that is uh when you've had a lot of success and number one songs on the radio and all that kind of stuff you start thinking success looks like number one songs on the radio and and doing what you've always done and so now i'm trying to get into the headspace that i was when i very first started at the church writing songs for kids it wasn't about hey will this be a number one song will this sell a million records will this uh will this uh be a great song to play on the tour and what will keep a tour afloat on the road i want to get back to that place where i was where i go man i just want to write a song that is me back starting in the church where i just want to have something I can write about that moves me and then give it to somebody, you know? And I think that's the purest form of art is thinking about here's the gift that I can give the world instead of, will this be a number one song? Will this be a a hit? Will this um, sell a lot of records? Uh, Because again, uh, one of them is writing out of pressure to, you know, like, Jerry, it's a fire. One's writing out of pressure. I feel the pressure to have to do this. And one is I feel the joy out of getting to do this. And I think that's, as I get older, man, I'd love to get back to that place where I don't think about as much. My goal is how many records I'm going to sell. My goal is getting back to that pure place of making art because God honors it when you hand it off to somebody else that it can move and change their life. And then sit back and watch where that one goes, you know. I think that's my that would be a
1: new goal for me. Yeah, and that's and that's difficult because you know uh, things are so you know goal oriented in life, especially if that's our personality. Um, yeah. One last question. One last question for you, Mark. You know, through your musical journey and, and, and fatherhood as well, but through <coughs> your life, um, your faith journey. You talked about you know um, you know how your music career started. How how has your faith and your relationship with with God? How has that changed over your life, or maybe through your music career?
0: Well, I'll answer this in a way to, to to wrap up in that I love that um your the the will you tell me the the title of your podcast again?
1: Uh Run the Race which is the verse of Hebrews about running the race of perseverance, finishing strong, right. going after Jesus.
0: Yeah. So uh one of the first songs that I wrote as a youth director was the song uh Cloud of Witnesses, based off that theme that year for those seniors, my first year, um was Hebrews uh 12 or 14, I can't remember, but it's now that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off all that hinders us and uh, spray each other on towards great deeds uh, in Christ. And and so Cloud of Witnesses is a song that is written about that. It's about the, the kids who uh, are in grade school and the 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 picture, the, the minister you know has the children's time and he's asking them, hey, who are the people that you love in this? in this uh, in this congregation and the kids turn around and they look and they're pointing to their mom and their dad and their teacher and their Sunday school teacher and then it turns into as they get older uh they're cloud of witnesses for each other you know as they they grow up and they're the um, as they spur each other on And then uh, it talks at the end of the song about how uh, those people who are now passing on, who have been such a great cloud of witnesses, again, they'll see them in heaven. And I think what's been so interesting for me and fun for me in my career is those relationships that I built as a youth director. Mark DeVries, the youth minister that I talk about, that I uh, met at the Hot Pepper Eating Contest earlier on this podcast Uh, we will still, um, when I'm back in Nashville, uh, we'll still go on jogs at five o'clock in the morning and I'll call him and text him. And just to see, uh, again, uh, from run the race, I love to run the race and have a history with people that have been running the race. Sometimes you get on the road and you do a concert and you leave and you don't see those people again for another year or two or three years. But what's been so special to me is the people that you've been sharing your relationship with Christ with for the last 30 years. And you see what God has done in their lives and and not just a snapshot, but you're, you know, Mark DeVries always used to say, uh, we're in the business of God's in the business of not growing um, bamboo shoots. He's in the business of growing oak trees, you know, and our job is to sit there and and uh, watch that and nourish that in kids because we don't want kids faith or our own faith to just shoot up really quick and then die when it gets hot, you know, but to do when they go through struggles, but to build something really strong and foundational. And that takes people around you that can encourage you. And when you get discouraged, so they can pick you up and remind you of what God's done in your life in the past. So uh, I've had people that have stepped into my life to do that for me. And now uh, I want to do that for my own kids to give them that gift of what it means to be surrounded by a bunch of believers who can encourage each other as they run towards um, Christ and and run towards what Christ has for them. I tell them and this every night as I pray for my kids, uh, I'll just say this. I'll say, hey, look, God has got something very important for you that's meant only for you, and I want you to pray for it, and I want you not to miss it, because the saddest thing in life would be to miss what God's got for you, and I want you to the cue and he, nobody knows you better than he does. And I want you to just continue to, to tune your heart into what he's got for you, because that's, you know, that's me playing songs and handing the gift off to other people. I just feel like that's what he had for me. And that's what I get to do. And I'm, I'm so glad I didn't miss that. And I don't want my kids to miss that either.
1: Yeah. Like, I mean, like, like you said, you know, we're all here for a reason. Um There's, there's, you know, a God has something Amazing for you. I, I had a youth pastor, a friend of mine, that always would say in pretty much every service, "The best is yet to come," mm-hmm. and, uh, and that was always his theme. So, and and Mark, it'd be an honor for me. I I, um, I close out all my podcasts in prayer. I feel like that's an important um, thing to do, and I'd love for you to, to pray us out. That'd be great.
0: Yeah, I surely will. Dear God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this. Podcast that encourages folks, that inspires folks uh, to live for you and the goodness and the fullness of what that means, God. Uh, don't don't let us miss what you've got for each one of us, God. That you've created us to be special and unique in a way that you have desired and built each one of us. And there's there's things in each one of us that comes alive. Uh, because of what you've made us and who you've made us to be. So, God, I just pray uh, the blessing on the folks that get to hear this podcast, that they'll really take the time and maybe uh, for the first time in the quiet of their heart, just say, God, what have you got for me and who have you meant me to be? And uh, fill me with that and let me be a blessing to other people out of the overflow of who you've made me, of how you love me, Uh, And let me give back to the idea of we're all in a community. Let us find out what we do in that community and then give it back to each other. And that's the best way we can reflect God's love to others. Uh, God, don't let us miss that. And let us be uh, great fathers, great mothers, um, great spiritual leaders, and surround us with those folks that can lift us up when we've fallen short. And let us do that for others around when they fall short, too. We love you. Uh, we thank you that you've given us this chance at life. Don't let us miss uh, miss it, and don't let us miss you in those moments, and let us glorify you in everything that we do.
1: In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And um, and and Mark, your rep, Greg, gave me permission to on the podcast as well to play a couple songs. One of them I'm going to play here at the end here is your new single, Jesus Paid It All. Um, oh, yeah. And- So uh, so uh, real quick, tell me about how that came about, Um, because I I assume that's not it's not a song that you wrote, I guess. No, I didn't. And that's kind (laughs) of the
0: fun. Uh, One of the things that
1: we're uh, that we're doing now, I I did a concert
0: a few months ago and uh, I played one of my dad's uh, favorite hymns just in the middle of the concert. And it wasn't my song, but I just thought, Hey, we're just going to take a break and just play one of my dads. And I played my mom's favorite hymn, you know? And when I played those songs from the people in the audience that were 25 years old to the people that were in the audience that were 70 years old, uh, I could just see a change come over them and some of them teared up and they had their arms in the air. And I was like, wow, that is really special that you could play a timeless hymn. And it connects with everybody in that room in a different way. And, um, and so I thought, man, that's special. So I said, look, I'm going to come back again uh, next year, and I'm going to I'm going to bring some hymns with me, and we're just going to have a hymn sing in the middle of this concert. And so Jesus Paid It All was uh, one of my grandpa's favorites uh, songs. So I'm just taking all these hymns from people that I've loved. One will be from Mark DeVries, the youth minister that I worked with. Um, uh, my mom and dad, my grandparents, and just combine these. Um, hymns in the middle of the concert just break out in these hymns and just and do that because sometimes i think man uh i love writing songs but if somebody's written a song that's timeless and is already doing that work don't overthink it just go play that one and uh it's generational i think you know i don't know if people are thinking about their grandparents who show introduce them to faith or uh or what it is but you play some of these hymns sometimes and people uh you know they go into this They go into this and uh, with their arms up and their eyes closed, and I just go, "Man, I want to be a part of that too." So as I grow, I just think uh, again, I want to give a gift back to people, and if if uh, if that's what they want to receive, man, I'm happy to
1: record some of those songs and and take it back to them in concert. And what an amazing message, you know, Jesus paid it all. I mean, I mean, it's it's uh, I mean, simple, but just uh, just um, earth shattering, you know. So it's amazing, Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, it's just a great reminder. It's a, and I think all all great songs uh, are are uh, maybe not new information. They're just packaged in a way that reminds us of the truth, you know. And that song certainly is. And so, I love to just it's just fun to repackage things and hand them off to people, and they open them up like a new, you know, like it's new. And so, uh, we everybody can do that with their life too. They just when you serve people, when you care for people, when you love people, you're just repackaging what God's already done for you and just giving it as a gift to somebody else. And they open it again for the first time. And that's, that's pretty special.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, Mark, much, thank you so much for your uh, generosity with your time, much love to you and your wife and your, your four kids and uh, for uh good luck with planning for your run across North Carolina or <laughs> <laughs> something like that. So, yeah, but, uh, but let, let, let us know next time you're in Georgia as well. That sounds great. Hey, thank you for what
0: you are doing. this is an awesome podcast. And I'm glad you're encouraging people. And look, you're in the news. You know how how difficult it can be, and and uh, it's nice to have a balance like this. So I'm glad you're involved in this, and I'm glad you're doing this to encourage people.
1: Yeah, well, through through it all, we just need to remember that you know that Jesus paid it all, and then you know, hey, listen, we can get through anything, right? Absolutely. The yeah. the focus, I, I would say it's a it's how you start
0: your day off. That's but before I even go to the news and look and see what's going on in the news, uh, my wife will wake up and she'll start reading uh, the scripture for the day. And uh, and uh, I wish I could say I'm the one that gets up and reads the scripture, but I always go, hey, will you give me the cliff notes of that What you just read? <laughs> And uh, as long as that can be the focus of the day before we get into the news, I think it's a great way to to, to really position the day before and frame the day before we get into the day. So, yeah, appreciate appreciate what you do. All
1: right. Thank you, Mark. Take care. Thank you. And thank you again for joining us for the Run the Race podcast. As promised, here is some of his new song, Jesus Paid It All. Have a great week, everybody.
2: hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me a crimson stain he washed it throne. I stand in Him complete. Jesus died my soul to save, and my lips will still repeat.